Thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to hear about how lives are changed. And if that's you, let us know and send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now enjoy today's message. pastime in my family is eating out. We do it to make things easier. Uh, You know, life can be hectic. Life can be busy. There's a lot going on. And so to save my wife some time uh, over, you know, slaving over an oven, we'll say, hey, let's go out tonight, babe. And it makes her day and it makes my life go well. And so with that, it's, it's a great thing, except for the fact that we have children. Now, some of you are judging me right now, and I don't appreciate that. All the single people are judging me. You know what? That's fine. You're single. I'm not. <laughs> Any parents, you love it when single people judge you? I, I pray you have eight children. <laughs> then we'll see how you do. But uh, the, the reason I say it's, it, it's unfortunate, I, mean, I love my children. Children are a blessing. But we go out to eat to make things easier and children have a way of making things more difficult. We have, this, we have this whole, like, routine that we go through before we ever get to the restaurant. Uh, those of you who are parents, you probably know this, this spiel. It's like, we're on the way there. Like, kids, we are going out to eat tonight. You know the rules. First of all, do not punch your brothers, all right? Secondly, don't be throwing rolls across the restaurant. Like, that's, that's uncalled for. Don't be standing on the table singing Pippa. We know you like Aladdin, but we don't want that happening. You know, quit, quit fighting with each other. No biting. No making noise. Remember, people know me in this town. I don't want you to embarrass me. We go through this whole thing. And the problem is, if you've been a parent long enough, you know that your kids start using what you say against you. Like, they'll start turning it on you. Uh, for new parents, just take some notes. This is going to help you in life. Like, like, my kids will always try to argue with me about the weirdest things. Like, some, they try and argue with me about Bible knowledge. Can you believe that? I'm like, you just slow your roll, kid, all right? You don't know who you're messing with. The other day, the other day Oliver, he's like, he, he was telling me, he's like, hey, did Romans hate Christians? And I was like, well, maybe some, not all Romans. I mean, the Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen. He's like, yeah, but he killed people. Like, kid, I'm about to spank you. So, anyways, kids, they start using what you say against you. Because, like, sometimes I'll say to my kids, I'm like, you have a call on your life. You're special. You're unique. God's chosen you. You don't need to be like everybody else. Like, you just be who God's called you to be. You follow your purpose. Follow your destiny. And then there's other times where I'm talking to them before I go to a restaurant. I'm like, you need to sit down, shut up. I don't want to hear you. Just be quiet. Just act normal. And I'm going through this. I, I said, you just need to, I don't want to hear you. Just don't make a fool of yourself. Just act normal. And Oliver says, I thought we were supposed to be different than everybody else. <laughs> so I said, how about I spank you? And uh, you'll feel different after that. I mean, put him in timeout. Put him in timeout. That's what I meant to say. Uh, but I'm just saying, it's funny, because I was reflecting on the values of our church and all the things we've talked about, our culture, it really is countercultural. It really is contrary to what's normal. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, just think through the things that we say, this is who we are as a church. We exude passion. It's an intentional response. 
Most people don't think about passion as an intentional response. Like passion's a feeling. You know, if I feel it, great. If I don't feel it, yeah, it's, it's passion. It comes and goes. We love sacrifice. Most people don't love sacrifice. Most people love themselves. Sacrifice is always selfless. We embrace risk. Most people don't embrace risk. Most people try to live their lives avoiding risk or mitigating risk or minimizing risk, not embracing it. The things we talk about, our culture is countercultural. And one thing you should know is that the church is supposed to be countercultural. It really is. It's supposed to be countercultural. I don't mean like we're trying to fight some culture war or political battle. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying you look at the life of Jesus, you look at the way he taught, what did he say? He said, hey, you've heard it said, meaning people will tell you the culture of the day is saying, but I say unto you. In other words, you've heard it said one way, but I'm telling you something countercultural. I'm telling you something different. And I'm setting it up for you because if you come to church long enough, you're going to have God speak to you. If you let God's word into your heart, it's going to challenge you. It's going to come in conflict sometimes with your paradigms. And that's a good thing. That's what God's word is supposed to do. We're supposed to renew our, our mind. We're supposed to be transformed into the image of Christ. When you talk about being countercultural, I mean, there's lots of things we could talk about. We could talk about in a world of disposable relationships. We could talk about the forgotten virtue of loyalty. That's countercultural. Most of it's like, hey, take every opportunity you can. Relationships come and go. We, we could talk about the importance of integrity. That's countercultural. So much of it is, hey, get what you can while you can. If it gets you ahead, that's all right. Doesn't matter by any means necessary. We could talk about purity in a world that is very impure. That's countercultural. We could talk about having gratitude when so much of the way we're taught is that we're entitled and the things that we deserve. There's a lot of things in God's word that are countercultural, but of all the things we could talk about, I think there are few things as countercultural as this idea of honor. Honor. Just thinking of others. Honor's about valuing people. And a lot of us, we have somewhat of an idea of honor. We may even have a somewhat biblical idea. Maybe know this verse that says, give honor to whom honor is due. And we have this idea that people should be honored, but a select few of people. A very limited, very narrow scope of honor. But what I want you to know is that the Bible has a lot to say about honor. The Bible says that honor should show up in all sorts of places. It says that marriage should be honored. It says that you should honor your spouse, honor your husband, honor your wife. Children should honor their parents. It says that you should honor your boss, honor those in authority over you, honor people in government. It talks a lot about honor. In fact, one of my favorite verses about honor says that you should outdo one another in showing honor. I like that verse because I'm a three on the Enneagram, so it like makes it a competition. 
So I feel like that language works for me. I'm going to outdo you. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that honor is so much bigger than just this narrow scope we lots of times segment it to. In fact, what I'm really trying to do is have you open up your heart to this idea of uncensored honor. Because so often we limit honor to a select few and select places. And what we think is, well, I'll honor those people who deserve it. But how do you know if they deserve it or not? I mean, let's be real. A lot of us are pretty good at finding fault. A lot of us are pretty good at pointing out the flaws in another person. I mean, we can, we, we can find fault like there's a reward for it. We, we are that good. If you don't believe any marriage, married couples, I'll bring you up here. We can just talk about one another for a minute. We're good at finding the fault in people. And so if we're just going to honor those who deserve it, how do we know who deserves it and who doesn't? That's the question that I want to answer for you today. Mark chapter 6 gives us some great insight into this. Because in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is returning back to his hometown. Now, his hometown is not Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where he was born. But his hometown is a different place. His hometown is Nazareth. And at this point in Mark chapter 6, it's been a year since he's been back there. It's kind of funny. When he left, he actually got ran out of town. He got ran out of town because he was starting his ministry. He preached in the synagogue, and they didn't like what he had to say. He was like, this day has this scripture been fulfilled in your ears. And they're like, what, you're trying to make yourself out to be God, the Messiah? They didn't like it. They were going to throw him over a cliff. And he just walked right through them, and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go on, get on with my ministry, with my tour. It's been a year since he's been back. He's done all sorts of miracles since then. He's been teaching God's words, been healing people, turned water into wine. He's raised the dead, opened deaf ears, healed blind eyes, multiplied loaves and fish, fed thousands and thousands of people. He's walked on water. He's calmed the storm. He's done a lot of great things, a lot of amazing things. And now he gets back, and you got to think, like, man, they're excited. The, the, the hometown boy is coming back. He's been on tour, his world tour, his headlining tour, and now he's back. He, he's bringing it back to, to preach and to work those same miracles and to do all these things. And it says something interesting because after he gets back, he's not able to do as much as he wants to do. Actually, what it says is that he could not do any miracles there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. Doesn't it seem crazy that Jesus couldn't do something he wanted to do? Like, I'm not making that up. That's what the Bible says. He wanted to do something for people, but he couldn't do it for the people because of something within the people. And what amazes me about the life of Jesus is if you study it, it was often the people who were closest to him that took him for granted. It's often the people that when we get close to something, we treat it as common. And these people, they had a hard time seeing Jesus as a deliverer. Couldn't see him as a deliverer. They'd known him when he was in diapers. They, they couldn't see him as Emmanuel. They'd, 
known him when he was an infant. And the problem is, it's hard to see a miracle in something that you've become familiar with. So Jesus, he quotes this statement, how a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown. And the reason he says that is because these people who grew up with him, they're not receiving him in the same way that Gentiles are receiving him. Now, what you might want to know is that during this time, Gentiles didn't normally associate with Jews. Typically, Gentiles would resist Jews. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. With Jesus, whenever he would go around, the Gentiles were showing up. They wanted to be a part of what he was a part of. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to be where he was at. They were showing up, they were showing out, and they were showing honor. Why is that? Because the honor you show is determined by the value you perceive. When you see something as valuable, that determines how you treat it. When you see something as worthwhile, it determines how you respond to it. I've got this mug I use every morning to drink coffee. A friend gave it to me. I use it all the time. It's actually really cool because uh, it hooks up to my phone. So I can just, like, it's the dumbest thing in the world, but I like it because I can, like, hook it up to my phone and make my coffee hot. My kids don't value that. You know, they'd be like throwing, they'd be using it as a baseball. But because it's valuable to me, it's something I use every day, I treat it differently than the way they would treat it. You see, it's, it's the honor you show something is determined by the value you perceive. So the Gentiles, they get around Jesus, they say, there is something different about this guy. I know that if I just get around this guy, well, I might get my miracle. If I get around this guy, I might get my healing. If I get around this guy, I might not just get my soul fed, I might get my stomach fed. There is something different about Jesus. And because they saw Jesus differently, they treated him differently. But in his hometown, Jesus was just a carpenter. Jesus, he's just family. And the moment you categorize something as common that's supposed to be special, you marginalize your miracle. Put it another way, you know, some of the things that amazed you about your spouse when you were dating them, they annoy you now that you've been married for five years. You're laughing because it's true. You see it all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, he's just, he's so amazing. He's such a great leader, such an independent thinker. Like he just, he never just goes with the flow. It's like he, he doesn't let people influence his decisions. He just, he thinks about it and makes his own decision. It's, I love him. He's so amazing. And five years later, why do you have to be so difficult? Why can't you just agree with me once in a while? See, the guys, they're like, oh my gosh, she is so hot. She is so gorgeous. She looks so good and she's so fun and she's so spunky. She makes everything so exciting. Five years later, it's like, what is taking you so long? We have been waiting two hours for you to get ready. Why do you have to be so emotional all the time? Can't you ever just be calm? Like, that's the way it is. What amazes you about someone when you're dating, it annoys you. This is not a marriage sermon, but it is real. <laughs> Talking about valuing people. And in one way, 
when people begin to take you for granted, it can almost be a compliment. Because really what it's doing is it's speaking about your consistency. This is why your kids never tell you thank you. Because there is always food at the table. Try going without food for a while, they'll be very thankful the next time you have some dinner for them. When people stop telling you good job, really it's a compliment that they stopped complimenting you. Because what they're saying is that you have done good work long enough that it's just what they expect from you. They no longer feel the need to stroke your ego or tell you good job because you are being consistent. You've established credibility. But if I tell my kids, hey, thank you for behaving at the restaurant, that is not a compliment. <laughs> what that means is I am shocked and amazed because you are so obnoxious and usually embarrass me that you didn't do this that time. I feel the need to tell you. That's what that, when my wife tells me, hey, thank you for picking up your shoes, that's not a compliment. What she's saying is, I am surprised that for the first time in my life, I am not having to pick up after you again. See, when, when people stop complimenting you, could actually be a compliment in and of itself. But while it might be a compliment to someone's consistency when you take them for granted, it's dangerous for you. And here's why. Because what consistently gets taken for granted eventually gets taken away. I want you to think about this. Jesus came to his hometown and he came with healing power. The same healing power that raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. The same healing power that healed a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. The, the same healing power that opened blind eyes. The same healing power that healed deaf ears. The same healing power that made the lame to walk. The same healing power. Jesus didn't lose any power once he got to Nazareth, but the people lost their appreciation and because they didn't value who Jesus was, because they didn't value what he could do, they limited the potential for his power to be released in their life. And every time you miss an opportunity to give somebody honor, not only denies that person of a gift that you could have given him, but it denies you the chance to receive something of great value. And here's why because the value you receive is determined by the honor that you show. The value you receive is determined by the honor that you show. Think about it this way. You wanna get something out of church, put something into church. You wanna get something out of a relationship, put something into the relationship. You wanna have a common, ordinary marriage, here's what you do. Treat your spouse as common and ordinary. You want to have a marriage that people look at and say, I want what they have. What they have is something special. What they have is something sacred. Then treat your spouse like she's special. Treat your spouse like he's special. The value that you receive is determined by the honor that you show. And I'm concerned that 
sometimes we can become so accustomed to the goodness of God or even the blessing of God that we treat the favor of God like it's common. You see, what Mark 6 shows us is that if you treat it common, it'll keep you crippled. If you treat it common, you'll miss your miracle. And I wonder if that's happened to any of us. Be tripping over the miracle that's right in front of us, all because we've stopped being amazed. Can I just challenge you? Don't stop being amazed. Don't take this for granted. Don't take this church for granted. Don't take this city for granted. Don't take what God is doing in your life for granted. When every week there are people making decisions to trust Jesus, when every time we schedule baptisms, we have people who are making the decision to get baptized, don't take this stuff for granted. Because if you take it for granted, it's going to be taken away. And you might be missing out on your miracle all because you've stopped being amazed at what God is doing. See, power came to Nazareth, but Jesus wasn't able to do anything for people because they didn't value it. And if you look at it, they started out amazed, but then they became annoyed. I wonder how many people started out amazed, but became annoyed. Man, I love this. This is amazing. What, you want me to serve? What? Man, this is awesome. I, this is, man, the messages, they speak to my, this is so great. What, you want me to give? They started out amazed, but they became annoyed. Look at this. In verse 2, it says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They were amazed. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom? What are these remarkable miracles? Then something shifted. They didn't deny his power. They didn't deny his wisdom. They didn't deny the miracles. They didn't doubt it. They just discounted it. Wait, 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 wait. It's just a carpenter. Well, isn't it isn't that Mary's son? Now, you know, they knew what his name was. They knew he was Jesus. Why are they calling him the carpenter? They're, they're trying to dishonor him. It's not that special. You know, that, that next name, that's really something. Isn't this Mary's son? Because in Jewish custom, you never referred to somebody by their mother's name. You always referred to them by their father's name. I mean, we don't know where Joseph is at. It's not in this story. Maybe he's dead. But even if he's dead, you still wouldn't refer to the boy by his mother's name. The only reason you would do that is if you didn't know who the father was. Oh, so they're not just discounting him. They're trying to discredit him. See, they didn't doubt what he did, that was undeniable. What they were questioning is where he came from. Well, where did he come from? I mean, I know Mary said he was God's baby, but I mean, none of us were around for that. 
they're, they're discrediting him. They're questioning where he came from. And it's funny because where he came from was Nazareth. And if you want a little insight on Nazareth, you can go to John. John chapter 1, we get some insight into Nazareth. It's the only place we get it. Because in John chapter 1, Jesus, John tells the story a little differently. Jesus is calling his disciples. He's building his team. He's gathering people. And he goes around and he's saying, hey, I want you to come follow me. One of the guys he goes to is Philip. He says, Philip, come follow me. Philip gets all excited. Philip is pumped up about this. Philip runs and tells his friend, he says, we have found the one that Moses wrote about. We found the one the prophets wrote. We have found the Messiah. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. He's telling his friend Nathaniel about this. Nathaniel says, hold on, what? Where did you say he was from? Nazareth. Whose son is he? Joseph's son. Nazareth. It's in John 1.46. He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? See, when I saw this, it helped me understand why they didn't value Jesus. At first, I thought it was just because he was familiar, because he grew up with them. But apparently, Nazareth had a reputation. Apparently, Nazareth had some credibility problems. And what this helped me to see is that it's not just because they were familiar with Jesus. It's because they knew themselves. How can he be special? He's one of us. How can anything good, I know this place. How can God really do something special in Lawrence? I mean, I've grown up here. How could God really do something special in Kansas? It's in the middle of America. How can God really have a church here that's going to change the Really? I mean, there's nothing special that comes from here. See, I thought it was just familiarity. But maybe they rejected him because they didn't value themselves. And see, it's hard to celebrate others if you can't even celebrate yourself. And now what Jesus said, said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. How can you value others if you can't even value yourself? Because the way you view others is always going to be built through the prism of how you view yourself. And this is so important because I started with this question of how do you honor people that you don't feel deserve it? I'll give honor to people who are worthy of honor, but I'm not just going to honor anybody. I'm especially not going to honor people that don't deserve it. But isn't that what Jesus did for us? You might want to write this down, Romans 5.8. says that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And by this, God showed how much he loved us. He showed how much he values us. You know, both in the Hebrew and Greek, that word honor, that's what it means, is to value. The word dishonor, what it means is to treat as common. So my question for you would be, 
If God didn't see you as common, why should you see somebody else that way? He valued you so much that he saw you worth dying for. And this is the key to understanding uncensored honor, is that honor is not about what they deserve. Honor's about what you decide. It's not whether or not they deserve it, it's whether you decide you're gonna show it. What we deserved was death. What God decided is that we were worth the precious blood of his son. And if God can do that for us, then can't we decide to show somebody honor who maybe doesn't deserve it? Let's be a church that shows honor. Let's be a church that speaks blessing. Let's be a church that elevates situations. Honor elevates, dishonor deteriorates. Honor is about celebrating difference instead of weakness. Honor is the decision, it's the personal choice to celebrate the distinctive difference in someone. Yeah, but you don't know my parents. You don't know my boss, you don't know my husband, you don't know my wife, you don't know my situation. Here's what I do know is that God didn't call you to correct them, he called you to honor them. He said, outdo one another in showing honor. They may not deserve it, but I know that if you got what you deserved, you'd be destined to hell. But Christ, who was completely honorable, saw value in you and decided to die for you. And I wanna close by giving an invitation for each person here. I wanna give two invitations. The first one would be...